everybody. Howdy. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we're back for episode 38. The Ocho. 38. 38. Did I just mix two languages? That was close enough. <laughs> 38 version uh, 38. Uh, A-B testing podcast. Did you say 28? 28? 28? I don't know. <laughs> 30. All right. Take two. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have time for alternate takes. No. So, uh, how you been, Brent? Uh, you know, I am under-caffeinated today. How about you? Um, I just uh, took the lid off my coffee, which Brent prepared for me. By hand, by hand, he pushed the buttons on the coffee machine, let the brown liquid pour into the cup, and then brought the cup to me. Here With loving room. care. Oh. It's awkward. <laughs> awkward. So, uh... Hey, should we do a podcast? Uh, sure. <laughs> But you know what? We kind of we almost don't need to do a podcast because you know what our good friend Percy did for us. We, I do know what our good we, friend we, Percy we did. We last just uh, two weeks ago on our last podcast, we um, Percy had asked, "Hey, could, what about a one of the three Slack channel and on, live on AB Test?" We said, "Sure," and then there were three. Then we had the um, we have one one of the three dot Slack dot com. Yep. And although somebody pointed out there are more than three people there, there are never more than three there at once. <laughs> I, I, very important to note. Yes. The, the, the reality is we have three listeners, and it is entirely irrelevant any facts that you may have to All the right. contrary. Whatever. <laughs> All right. You know what we're going to do? Because for, our, for two of our listeners... Hold on. No. I don't know where you're going. I, I know you don't. <laughs> well, I'm not done with number two. All right. Do, do, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Brent, so, finish your number two, and then we'll go on. <laughs> Thank you. So, Percy, thanks for hooking that up. It's fantastic. Uh, we had, we're having some great discussions on that off, offline. Uh, if for some sick, twisted reason you can't get enough of the podcast, that's a good way to a good place to go to get additional content. It's you, actually a good place to go and say, "What the hell did you guys mean when you said blah?" That does seem to be a common yeah. So thing. it's good for clarifying. Uh, Percy, uh, uh, his Twitter tag is at p e r z e. That's p e r z e for our listener north of the border. Yes. Uh, he is sort of our self-appointed administrator of this uh, Slack channel. You, if you want to join, you're no, welcome he, to. He's just not just a, self-appointed. I, I second his nomination and approve I of his. I absolutely yeah. second his nomination as well. Uh, laziness will win almost always with me. If you want to join, just direct message him in, in Twitter, your email account, and he'll hook you up. All right. Yeah, thanks, Percy. Are are we done with our PSA for one of the three.slack.com? We are. This episode brought to you by Percy. Yeah, (laughs) we don't really have a sponsor. So now, you know what we're going to do now? What? It's been a long time since we did this. What? You know what a two bagger is? Yes. In baseball, it's a double, right? Right. Right, right. Today, it is time for not one. Well timed. Can you turn off your damn phone? Jeez. (laughs) Not one, but two. Mailbag! I think it's just one mailbag. 
Oh, but two mailbag questions. Right. Two two mail letter thingies. Yeah. Uh, whatever. <laughs> All right. So uh, <clears throat> uh, the first one, I guess. Do you want to read it? Do you want me to read it to you so I can uh, fix the words you don't like? Yeah, no, I got it. All right. It's from uh, – this is the one from uh, Nithin, right? Known on the uh, the Slack channel as Nitdog X. Yeah, that's actually one thing I really am digging about the the Slack channel is listeners are are now putting their questions in one place, so it's easy to find. Gone are the. Five minutes we spent on the podcast looking on LinkedIn or Twitter to find the question. We'll still get some there. Yep. It's just, so, it's just the loyal three that show up in the Slack channel. So, Nitin says, in a previous episode, you mentioned how larger teams break up projects into seasons, including a planning season or something. Uh, just so that you know, we break them up into what we call semesters. So, it's more of a uh, university-style uh, paradigm. Um, but continue on. The VSTS team also mentioned this at Build. To me, it sounds pretty much the same as what Microsoft used to do with large waterfall projects when seasons, semest- semesters, were just called milestones. How are seasons, semesters, and whatever other ways projects are split up, time-boxed, different than milestones that's a great question and i want to hear a great answer brent what do you got um nothing right the the reality is i'm I'm putting on my best microsoft manager hat oh god (laughs) i'm getting out my best puke bucket right the 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 reality is the difference between a semester and a milestone at the end of, of a semester, we expect full features to be shipped. So the biggest difference um, is, is just simply time compression. So what used to happen in three years now happens in six months. Uh, on f- how it is rolled out, it really does depend on the team. So some teams basically turn it into a mini waterfall model where the start and end completes in six months. Others, other teams um, uh, take a different approach, a, a much more agile approach, which uh, essentially you start with a planning milestone. The planning milestone is... Wait, is a planning milestone or planning semester? It's not a planning semester. There is no planning semester. Actually, you're right. He, he explicitly asked for that. There is no planning semester. So when I worked on Windows 7, for example, we did six months pure planning before um, we started working on the code. Thank you, Stephen Sanofsky, for really emphasizing the power of waterfall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you you follow that with six months of coding followed by 12 months of stabilization? Uh, I think think Windows 7 was a three-year. Might have been a two-year. Whatever, whatever. But, yeah. And then uh, six months of DCR. And I'm going to interrupt because I'm not hearing a lot of 
differentiation between a milestone and a semester. I think you sound like some teams treat it like a milestone. Teams that are more agile treat it more like a the, – the difference is, is that in milestones, you just be a – a check mark on the way to make sure some stuff was kind of mostly done and kind of working so you could maybe deliver it to some partners or beta customers, et cetera. And you're saying in semesters, what the good teams do is make sure that instead of having a bunch of half done features, you have fewer fuller done features. But is that it? Otherwise it's just two, two labels for to me. It's two labels to the, the same the thing. It's that, how you approach the end. The yes and no. So when I think of milestones, um, the milestone model and a waterfall thing, I think of things like test complete and code complete and UI freeze and all these sort of uh, alpha date, beta date, all of these sort of intermittent dates that we would put in the old waterfall process that were sort of checkpoints, as you're talking about. Um, the way, for example, my team does does planning and and just want to be super clear there is no planning semester anymore the the planning is expected to to be sort of the the two to three weeks before the start of the milestone is it wait you keep on saying milestone but is it milestone or semester semester so you are nailing down the fact that these are kind of the same one way to look (laughs) at it is that it's just a, a name replacement and i agree that Aha. It, you could so, look at it. And, and to be clear, but a milestone the- implies um, kind of like when you're driving. Like here's here's a check that we've made on a way to something. Okay, this is not that. This the what a semester is. You start off a semester doing some lightweight planning that says this is our north star. This is our vision for the end of semester. So planning's purpose in life is guidance. Not okay. So I, I, I get it. And and to be clear to the listeners, I'm not playing devil's advocate here entirely because I have never – I, for one, have never been on a project at Microsoft that used semesters. Yes. That term. So you're saying that – I think a difference is like I kind of go way back to Windows 95 and like I want to think of the oldest waterfall project I've been on. But it had milestones and like every – even numbered milestone was a beta release, but they were really just sort of checkpoints and planning things. Like by M7, we expect these features to be in. M8 will be beta 2. M9 is when we finish up this. There was sort of a theme uh, for maybe for each milestone. But with semesters, it's like here's what we're going to do for the next – is it six months? Mm-hmm. Is it true six months? So here are the guiding principles for the next six months. And that's a yep. semester. And then you, then you do some lightweight planning and do your work. Yep. Uh, so, so the really the so you're agreeing. So I'm saying they're they're not the same, but highly similar. They kind of accomplish similar goals, right? the The biggest difference uh, in the in say the waterfall model is here in the waterfall model. These milestones were were really about showing progress towards the 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 ultimate shipping vision. Whereas semesters, it's not about showing project or progress. It's about shipping stuff, right? Um, the six months, its whole purpose in life is to, to have a cadence with upper management to see if we need to do things like uh, minor reorgs or minor shuffling to, to reallocate towards what we know at that time is a better business direction. 
So the one key difference between, say, the semester model and the waterfall milestone-based model. The, mile, the waterfall model, what I, from my experience, the key vision for the goal rarely changed dramatically. Yeah, and, but to be In clear. In the semester, it does. Yeah, it's a lot of semantics here because milestones don't imply waterfall. We associate them with our past as a waterfallish thing. I believe, and that's correct, right? Um, I'm kind of mapping it because I view this because he has Nitten asked, hey, Microsoft used to blah, blah, blah. So I'm kind of viewing it from my perspective in terms of how milestones were managed back in the day. Yes, and that's kind of what I'm doing too. But I think you could treat milestones very much like you're treating semesters today. And I could also see a way that uh, engineering team could treat semesters very much as we used to use milestones back in the day. What I see – well, so and then in, in that context, so I can snap to your definition, what loosely are you calling a milestone? What What is a milestone in your mind? Um. A milestone is a point in time, which could be six months, it could be another amount of time, where we expect to have, where we align towards a goal. We align towards a goal that we think will occur on or around a certain date. For example, a product may say, we may have a milestone, we may have a uh, public beta milestone. And, you know, in, in month, you know, in January, we're going to have a public beta. In, uh, or a small, we'll call it a small public beta in January. That's our January milestone. Then in March, we're going to have a expanded public beta. Um, and then that can, we'll call that a milestone. And we have things we need to do around that. So there's some, th- there's some rallying cries need to happen around that. So if you're, if you're like, I'm just, this is not my product, but I'm, say I'm making an um, uh, a app for iPhone. And I'm doing my public beta. There's things I have to do. Okay, working back from that milestone, I got to have the an account set up in the in the app store to make sure I can get that uploaded. Uh, I have to look at all the requirements for that. Make sure I have work items. Make sure that all those are done beforehand. Make sure I have ways to get feedback from my customers that I trust. There's there's a bunch of stuff we need to rally around for that milestone. So those are the features that have to be done. And then as we go wider, there's there's other things that come into place. I'm not going to list them all out. But if I have a goal, a target for date N and date, you know, date M and date L or whatever, uh, I can rally my work around that to make sure I'm prepared for that milestone. So with that definition in mind, um, then there's there is a I'll do an attempt at, at an important distinction because the way you described it was in essence we have this sort of tactical goal and the purpose of milestones is to synchronize the entire organization yeah. towards that goal things I, I, like I, test complete I, I figured that out a little bit as I went along so it yep. doesn't it's not waterfallish it doesn't need to be we need to rally around some dates right. but the semester is not. It is like at the end of the six months, we're going to ship blah to n number of customers. It is the vision and our strategy, our principles for the next six months are this. This is how we're going to work. And then at the end of six months, we're going to stop, reflect. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a macro retrospective. Yes, you're going to stop and look back, see what you learned, where did we go, what has changed in the marketplace since then. Because the six months changes a lot. Let's re-strategize. Let's adjust, and then set a goal for the next six months. 
Yes. So a semester. So I'm learning. I'm, this is actually me learning as we go through this. So a now semester. It so it will much like in the definition you talked about. It will have goals enumerated, but those goals will be in terms of customer outcomes delivered. The versus the milestone model, right? Ultimately, there's this customer outcome we want for the RTM in in a waterfall model or a milestone model. Mm-hmm. And these many milestones in between is about creating synchronization to get the whole organization at the same place at the same time so we can move forward. That is not what happens in a semester. No, I, I get it now. What happens in a semester? Well, now I'm responding to Nitin. What oh, happens in a semester? Who cares about him? I get it. Fine. <laughs> what happens in a semester is so one important distinction between a. a Waterfall and semester model is that you do not expect, nor do you generally see, all of the features delivered in the last month of a semester. Yeah. So you see them continuously delivered throughout the semester, um, but the, the goals are customer outcomes desired. Okay. I, um, you, you lost me a little. I think you're... A lot of times in the conversation, it's kind of so you're in your head. I think you see milestones, waterfall, semesters, agile, and I don't know if you actually think that it's coming. It's coming out in the way you explain it, where I think it's sure. <laughs> uh, where I don't think it's it doesn't have to be the case. It doesn't have to be the case. So so. All of my present experience in a semester model, it has been on service teams. And a service team doing – so I may be associating semesters, service, and agile all kind of lumped in together. But the whole point of a semester is to to generate – New North Stars every six months and to create a synchronization point with management uh, so that we can redirect towards no, the most in, – In a way, months. when you compare – even some people say six months, that's forever. But if you look at um, some of the traditional three-year shipping cycles that a lot of Microsoft products, Windows Office, had um, uh, years ago. And both of those ship more often now. But if you yep. look at how often they used to ship – you know, actually stopping and changing direction every six months, that would have been disastrous. Right. They couldn't. Uh, <laughs> Not, the the, the Sanofsky version of Windows couldn't have even executed that. <laughs> yeah, let's decide what customers want three years from now. And we'll, right. give, and, and we'll make that for them. And, you know, stupid customers, they keep deciding the wrong things. I know. Can you believe that they decide? Yeah. Oh, we don't. They say, we don't like this. And I say, well, you're wrong. <laughs> right. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so I get it. So if, if I got it, um, Nitin's uh, smarter than me, so I hope he got it too. All right. I guess we'll find out shortly. All right. All right. Uh, do you want to go on to another Let's mailbag? Let's the next mailbag. Can, can I read this one? You please. Because I read better than you. You do. Yeah, that, that was in um, – I, I know it was in the Slack channel somewhere. Uh <clears throat> What don't you do better than me, Alan? Seriously. Yeah, I All got, right, I got it. All right. <laughs> so um, our, our good friend of the show, 
Mr. Steve Rowe. Got that rhyme there? Yes. Yeah. Way to go. Steve Rowe from Microsoft. Way to go. He Got said, it. here's a question for your, Rowe. and he put it in capital letters, mailbag. He put like lots of A's there, but he didn't do that. All right. He said, in a recent episode, and this is a whole new topic, we should have had a commercial break there, but we don't have any sponsors other than Percy and Slack. All right. In a recent episode, you mentioned that you were against V-teams. However, you also stated that you thought people should be coached and managed by people who weren't necessarily the owner of the features they were working on. And I'll elaborate on both of these in a second. That was me saying that. Uh, This sounds a little like a V-team. Hypocrite. For some uses of that word. Can you explain the difference between what you do and what you do not want? Um. Lots of things. Let me, let me let me do a even more annotated version of this. Um, yes, I in for the most part I don't like the way Microsoft has traditionally done V teams, uh, which is let's get a team together that meets perpetually and forever. yeah forever and with no stated outcomes. They just get together and they they some stuff happens, some a stuff doesn't theme. happen. Some people are in the V team because they want to be informed. Something like a tenth or less. It's like like Wiki, like uh, uh, contributing to Wikipedia. It's like one percent actually do the work. Uh, so that's the kind of V team I'm against. Um, and I is it however you stated that people should be coached and managed by people who weren't necessarily the owners of the features they were working on. Meaning, I think. Uh, even my team today, uh, for the most part, we have one manager has kind of risen above this traditional Microsoft bucketing where a manager owns a feature area. We own this. And I kind of like the idea of a manager owns managing and coaching about 10 to 16 people. And uh, they work on what's important. And there's a lot of fluidity. And of course, there's expertise on the team, and some some managers may take on particular types of work more than others. But I really think that uh, you don't necessarily need to own a feature area on a single group of people. Uh, where that's really backfired is what you see in some orgs that rhyme with Lindos. Uh, you see teams of a manager with three people and each of those has two people reporting to them because it's they they've structured the exact like almost down to the detailed ui of the product down to teams and and structured their organization that way which i think adds so much overhead uh that it can hinder progress and again, Windows is a big org. I'm sorry, Lindos rhymes with Lindos. Could be Rindos. I don't know. Um, doesn't work that way across the org. Not making fun of Steve, who works in Windows. I think his org is actually much flatter than uh, other parts. But it's just where I see the, uh, the, the biggest offenders of that. So anyway, um, I prefer larger teams that can be fluid and take on uh, different work. So those are different. To me, those are different things. Let me address... Brent is being very, very patient with me. Uh, let me talk about the kind of V-team I like. Because I've already elaborated on what I mean by sort of the, the team that's coached. The manager is the coach and the, and the, and the grower and the, and the manager but I don't of these teams. But I don't think you've defended yourself against the accusation of hypocrisy. So I think these are two different things. 
Okay. So uh, I will go back to the the management one if you want. I think I've covered it. But let me talk about the V teams that I do like. And I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I'll bring it up again, which was which is what I like to call the World of Warcraft Guide to Project Management, which is in World of Warcraft, you and in many other uh, sort of multiplayer role-playing games, you a group gets together to take on a common cause to do a quest. You share the rewards, which can be treasure or recognition, and then you either take on another quest or disband. That is how I think V-teams should work. A group of people should get together that have complementary skills. They may be project management, maybe technical, whatever. They solve a particular problem. They, the first thing a V-team does is say, what problem are we solving? They work till that problem is solved. And then they either say, do we have another problem we can solve together? And if so, take that on. Or they disband and go back to their jobs. They don't meet forever and ever and have the... 90% of the group be informed. It's a group that gets together. They have they all work together towards a common goal and then they move on and take on other work or or, or another project together. That's the sort of V team I like. Mm-hmm. As do no, I. Not the traditional at Microsoft. Uh let's just get a team of way of way too many people together and you know, quote, share information and talk and not really get anything done. So one of the things that I think Steve is is saying, like in his mind, from implication from his question, in his mind, um, people being coached by someone that is not their manager seems, in his mind, is the functional equivalent of a V-team. He's like, what's the diff? Oh, and honestly, I think the difference is like in your World of Warcraft model, whoever spontaneously gets appointed the the leader of the quest mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a people coach, right? Right. Their job is to to project manage, for lack of a better word, towards the goal, right? Um, that's what I. Th- think is the primary difference right so there are um i think he's reflecting upon different leadership models so you got the v team model where where you do kind of need leadership otherwise you have a bunch of people running around right you have to have something that pulls them into and even the bad v teams i've seen have a leader but it's important that the leader uh, actually leads the group and doesn't just schedule their meetings. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen like the most horrible V teams I've seen is where the leader schedules the meetings, and because he's the leader, he's accountable. Everyone else says, "Hey, I'm I am on this other thing. I have a higher priority, and so therefore only the leader does the work." And so now he's scheduling a bunch of meetings and doing the work himself um again i think a good v team has to have everyone invested in the outcome so the first thing you do a good v team is what are we going to solve and often i've seen v teams meet and talk about the problem and realize in fact i was on one last week where um i won't go into the details but uh, uh, last week 
where <laughs> I'm watching Brent uh, answer his phone during the podcast. <laughs> Hello. So I, I met with the V team last week. So here's what we got to do. And I, and I joined the V team late, uh, a week late. And uh, there was, they had a goal. Here's what we need to do. And I said, can you just do this? And they looked at it and said, yes. And I guess we don't need to meet anymore. So the, the, if you find the solution that quick, or sometimes even in discussion, if it would have been there the first week, would have lasted even less long. But sometimes if you if getting that goal is key, and sometimes in discussion of the goal, you just you realize that you don't need to do anything. There's already an answer. Yes. So and that's uh, many V teams would go well. What else immediately like like well now what do we do? We should keep meeting and talk about this. But anyway, yeah no that's. All right. I think I've made my point about V teams I like and V teams I don't like. Uh, you were going somewhere with the parallels and and with leadership. Well, so what's your what's your view in terms of what you expect? So his last question: What do you what do you expect, or what's the difference between what you do and do not want as it relates to both the topics of V teams? And people being coached. Okay. With V-teams, what I do want is, just to summarize, yep. what I do want is a team that works together towards a common goal and then either disbands or takes on another goal. What I do not want is a team that just gets together and and meets and does nothing. Yes. As far as managing a team, uh, sort of the way I prefer – although I don't live in that world entirely, I think people managers, what I, what I want to see, I love the way you phrase that so I can focus my answer. Uh, what I do want to see is people managers who aren't in love with owning a particular feature set and structuring their team around that and instead have a group of people they want to leverage their strengths to get whatever work done they can that comes their way that makes sense in the context of their product. Meaning, because I saw I saw confusion in Brent's eyes. Right. Uh, if I, I have parse. So what I do want is, say, I'm a manager of a team of ten people, and we we have some expertise in shimmery blue menus. Uh, but we also have other things we can do. And my job as a manager is to know all the strengths and also growth areas for my team. Mm-hmm. So rather than have us take on all the work and feature X. I very much like the model of it's Kanban. Like my team will take on, like it isn't just our Kanban. There's, there could, there's maybe we're on a, there's, I have five peer managers. So there's 50 of us together and with our teams of 10 and we can go to the team Kanban and take on work. And we may take on, likely we'll take on most of the shimmery blue menu work because that's where our expertise is. But it doesn't mean we can't dive in elsewhere as that work becomes more important. And in fact, uh, we may be so far ahead on shimmery blue menus that there may not be any more shimmery blue menu work to do. So traditionally, what a team could do would be to invest in enhancing shimmery blue menus even more. But that's not the most important thing to work on the products. I want my team to be able to take on uh, whatever fits our expertise that's in that stuff that needs to be done, the high priority stuff. So I'd rather look at that sort of team backlog and take on what's most important and have my team be able to take that on versus a sticking and 
working on a particular area, even when that area may be done. Um, that takes care of a couple things. As you know, uh, say my team sucks. Your team sucks. Uh, well, yeah, they do. So we're awful. <laughs> I have a bunch of junior people, and I took some hand-me-downs, and they're not performing very well. Uh, what could happen if I just own my feature area? It's probably going to suck, and and we can work on that. But as I'm working on my team, getting them better, making them suck less, uh, we're going to work slower through items. Rather than have my whole area be behind – if we're working from a team Kanban or a team, you know, some sort of pull system from a team level, we're going to be taking items. That I think, okay, this is a, these are some good items for our team, and we're going to work on those, and we're going to be a little bit slower, but they're going to get done. And your team rocks. Your team is like superstars. They're just like, oh, I eat code for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they take some – they're with quality, of course. And you're taking items from the, from the backlog and cranking them out and – and moving them across the board. And what happens is your solid teams take on the high priority items and high risk items um, and work through them quickly. And the teams that are learning uh, can take other items, still need to be done, still important. Uh, and those get done. And what happens is the whole product actually gets done in this model and is of high quality uh, much more often than in the traditional model where you have some features that are overdeveloped and have too many shimmers in their blue menus mm-hmm. and versus uh, and then you have like the team that was slow or some people quit or whatever. And, and that whole feature is behind and sucks. So that's why I like the fluidity of a model like this is because it allows you to work in a system like that. Do you think Steve's question was no, but I just was on a soapbox. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I com- this is this is the A/B testing. We're not about answering the question directly. We haven't it's done a inspiration. Good, we haven't. Steve, done a good, you're my muse. Right there, you go. Um, <laughs> I take your question and go ahead and answer whichever one I feel like you should have asked instead. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like a politician. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Speaking I, I, of which, I, I should I should have phrased the answer as Steve. Let me tell you about my good friend Henrietta Higgins. One time. No, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to make A-B testing great again. Speaking of which, aren't you doing that sometime soon? What? The, your, when's your uh, talk on A-B testing? Um, I actually finished my slides and everything. Yeah. Um, uh, it's going to be in June. I also have a talk um, next week. The slides are, believe it or not, started, but not done. <laughs> Uh, next week I'll be in Seattle at uh, Cordev in uh, uh, where is Cordev near the U District ish Ravenish. Now I have to now I have to remember. Maybe they moved. I should look before I go. At a secret location somewhere in Seattle. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my. Um. So okay, back to the. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> so there's two things i so i I completely agree with the uh, the project model the The only thing I would state differently is um, for me it's not about importance uh, going back to semantics um, it's about because words have meanings yes I right. do I just wanted to say that um, it's about r o i so in, in the world where, uh, let's say, there is a master 
Kanban board and teams go and select from the master Kanban board. In that world, then what I want to do is sort of pick the the highest ROI that I think that my team um, can close on within the in a reasonable window of opportunity. Obviously, if my team can't execute it mm-hmm. and there's a tight yeah. window of opportunity, my team shouldn't take this one. Um, but I also want to look at the ROI for the team itself. So uh, in some teams, and, and right now my team is is kind of in this place where we're really good at executing and adapting and even picking up things that we don't understand. So I just yeah. like, hey, and whatever the highest ROI is, that's all I want. And that's fine because that, that's about learning. It's not about just like picking like the easy – like I don't feel like my team's very good. I want to pick the easy work. As a manager, it's your job to give your team yeah, the highest – the most difficult work they can actually accomplish. And that's, But that's yeah. true for growth, right? Always put yourself on the steepest learning curve right. is, is the way you get better as a – the uh, steepest learning curve you can handle. Yes. Right. Yeah, and if you're a little bit underwater, like I love being on on the project where I'm not quite sure what I'm doing because eventually I know I can figure it out. And you want to challenge your team to do that. So it becomes this is the a big difference is it requires a good manager to do this or a good people manager. Uh, Microsoft has a lot of managers who are good at the project management. I own graphics. So my team does graphic stuff versus uh, – and and that's very much a sort of a project manager kind of role mm-hmm. um, where I want to see more managers who are the people managers and coaches who look across their team can figure out, okay, I know the skills of everyone on our team and how they complement and where our holes are. So here's the – this knowing that's some work we can take on where I don't think a lot of managers – I'll say at Microsoft, but also a lot of managers, period, necessarily know how to do that. I think a lot of software managers are pure project managers and turn the crank, what I call the traditional uh, turn the crank manager versus someone who actually knows how to coach a team. And I would prefer an organization of, of managers who knew how to coach their teams and grow their teams versus just project manage. I even would take it one step further cuz in my view you got to if if you're going to be if you're going to be in an environment where you as a manager owns your project and your team right uh, not sort of the models we talked about earlier where perhaps uh a, the the person you report to is solely responsible for people growth and maybe there's sort of these virtual scrum teams that are formed up that that drive through the project right um if you're going to be a manager that owns both then the way i view it is my responsibility is to grow my business okay so that means the value outputted by my team and my team's ability to scale to to accomplish and pick up New the next set of value. The um, where was I going with this story? Who knows? <laughs> the <clears throat> in by taking this sort of point of view, 
what that means is I'm, I'm going after what is the most valuable thing, and I'm also trying to reduce the cost to deliver, right? So it's not just it's, – it's how do I deliver great projects and grow my team, not one or the other. I th- but but the, I think – But there's another thing I want, I want you to think about because this is something – I've started – started writing a blog on this. Um, probably we'll post it this weekend. Um, but one thing, let's, let's take it aside for a moment because there's also this product. Um, sorry. You talked about the managers versus the leaders, which in my mind is the project managers versus the people managers. Maybe. So let's talk about goals. Like one of the things I see a lot from these project manager types is this focus on efficiency. And I'm curious, do you see a difference between productivity and efficiency? Yes. Okay. What is it? Which one's more important if you can't have both? Uh, I, I think you're preaching to the choir here. I think productivity yeah. is more important. Okay. What is it? Productivity is uh, how easy it is for me to get my work done. Okay, um, so it's uh, simplification in some cases, um, whereas efficiency is uh, how do I describe efficiency? How would you describe efficiency? So, the way I describe the two productivity is uh, how long, how uh, essentially per a unit of time. How many units of value can you ship? So, product, so if you think of productivity like an assembly line, if we are all working on cars, productivity, it, last week we, we, we built two cars a day. This week we built five cars a day. We are more productive this week. Efficiency is how, what percent of your individual time is allocated. Are you um, 100% of your time working on something versus sitting around waiting? The, a lot of the times what I see is these project managers. Um, this this kind of goes into, again, the assembly line. So on, a, if, on an assembly line model... If I had a team of people who only know how to do one thing, then I need to funnel work to, to that person so that they're 100% utilized. But now if you, what did you call it, the shimmery blue? Shimmery blue menus. My, the shimmery blue menus. My, my standard answer for, uh, standard example for anything. So if you have one guy in your team that... Um, is the master of shimmery blue right-click menus, and another guy on the team is master of shimmery blue buttons. Um, how do you rearrange the work so you can take advantage of these guys' expertise? That's the other thing that I see these, these well, project you, manager guys uh, do because, they, because they're like, hey, I can only take off of the backlog because I'm focused on efficiency of my guys. I can only actually take the the item stacked 2050. 
That's that. That's the only thing my guys can do because it's inefficient for them to learn something new. Yeah, well, that's just stupid, right? So I, you, you were on a long diatribe rant, something there. Uh, I want to go back to a point you made about um, an hour and a half ago, where uh, you, you're talking about you have what you could have. Uh, now I can't remember. You said you want. Um, you want to grow your team or like, was it make a good grow your team or have a good product or something? If you have a manager, so reflect, refresh me on that. So I can tell you you're wrong. So if you are in an environment where you as a manager simultaneously are responsible for a team and a project or a set of features, right? The it's, Two separate things. Yeah, One- so that, 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 that's far enough because yep. I am a firm believer um, both in concept and in practice that by building a strong team, you will build a good product. Completely agree. So I think you can over-index on one. You can't just lose sight of the other. You got to make sure you give them the right work. But I think if you have a great team – um, and not just that you've you've hired superstars. You've uh, a good manager can take a bunch of misfits and uh, get them to work together and enjoy their work and find their strengths and get them and and make a good product as well. The great products come from great teams. You, I, I think a great product built by a bunch of shitheads is uh, oops PG rating just went up um, is not. Completely impossible, but nearly impossible. Uh, it happens, right? The the law of probability yeah. say is if as long as it's non-zero, given infinite time, uh, it so can occur. Anyway, the point right? I, the point I wanted to make there is, please, as manager, start by building that great team. The okay, there was stuff I wanted to get to, but we have like we have like three minutes left. So I, I completely agree in terms of starting by building a great team, right? The the if you can pick only one thing to do, and that's business value or establish, get, earn the trust of your employees and inspire the intertrust between them, um, working on that, that trust I would say is more important than working on the business value. I completely agree. And there's, um, I'm going to use some of the time to talk about that because uh, with trust, um, trust is is the basis. It's like the base of the pyramid. Because with that, then with that, can you can have? If I don't trust you, and I have a conflict with you or a heated discussion with you, uh, it's very easy for me to take that personally and or and and do you have it affect my work like I don't want to argue with Brent again but with trust we can talk about whether we can have a argument about the best way to implement shimmery blue menus and at the end of it we don't dislike each other any less because we have trust in our relationship and at the end what we probably have is a better design than we would have had if we were just passive kind of like okay whatever you want to do is fine trust in 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 this so tr- trust is the basis for for conflict agree. and and conflict i don't think is necessarily bad when you have trust behind it it's actually very good when you have trust behind it cuz that's where good the good things come out of those conflicted discussions so 
negotiations, arguments, debates, whatever you want to call them, it doesn't it doesn't matter to me. But trust makes an important distinction between are you arguing about who's right or what's right? Yes. That's a good way to put that. Yeah. Congratulations, Brent. Thank you. That's a very good point. I think we should close on that one. Fair enough. All right. Uh, I'm still Alan. And I'm not. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.